Welcome everyone to the AI in Business podcast. I'm your host, Matthew DeMello. Today's guest is Ilka Demir, designer of Fake Catcher and senior staff research scientist at Intel. Fake Catcher is an AI-powered deepfake video detection tool developed by the company. Ilka joins us to explain the science behind the new technology and its many applications, both in the hands of individual journalists, as well as being leveraged by entire media enterprises. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Thank you so much, Ilka, for joining us on today's show. Thank you, Matthew, for hosting me. So to start off, those who are familiar with AI technologies, particularly machine learning use cases where we see in fraud detection across industries, they might have some idea of how this verification process can take milliseconds. But for those who know nothing about that and look at this headline and say, you know, why does it take days to fact check a political debate, let's say, but now it takes milliseconds to determine a deep fake video is real. Why does that make sense from a technological standpoint, especially with, with these new developments in, in deep fake identification technology? So I think these are these sound similar problems, but fact checking versus checking if something is deep fake is completely different problems. Deep fakes are visual or audio signals that are manipulated, that are edited, that we can actually find by signal processing or by, by other means that they are real or not. Fact checking is a little bit more complex process that you need to check whether the context is correct, you need to check the motivation is correct, you need to check who says, why it's, it was said, etc. So that contextual information for fact checking makes it a little bit more complex problem. But for deepfakes, we can actually just do some visual analysis of the videos and then understand that it is real or fake. Indeed. And one of those metrics that you use is, and I'm going to, I, I practiced saying this before we got started. I think you might have heard me on the preliminary part of the call, but it is photo plethysmography or PPG for short. And we're going to keep calling it PPG before I, I have another chance to butcher that name. But essentially, that's like taking visual cues to see uh, very natural flows of blood to the face or or whatever's being depicted on screen. Tell us a, a, about how, you know, that visual data is being collected and what other factors are are being used and what in how they work with AI capabilities to verify that they're seeing a human being, a real human being in front of the the camera image. Right. As you just mentioned, I think the hardest part of the project is saying for the flatismography, for the flatismography, for the flatismography multiple times. <laughs> yes. Very <laughs> hard. You know There's also ballistic cardiography, which is even harder. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, those PPG signals are what we use essentially for catching defects. So normally defect detectors are trying to find artifacts of fakery. So what is fake in, what is like the fake in bad videos, right? And they look at like boundary artifacts, symmetry artifacts, histogram artifacts, etc. So we twist that question and we ask what makes us human? What is any priors in humans that we can trust that it makes us real, right? And heart rate is one of them heart rate is the most natural answer maybe so when your heart pumps blood it goes to your veins and the oxygen content of the veins change and that 
oxygen content change actually causes color changes on your face, on your, wherever you have veins, they are changing color. So that color change is of course not visible to our eyes. Like as humans, we cannot see that color change, but computationally it is visible. So in videos of real people, you can see that it has a periodic, it is periodic, it has a structure, it has some bonds. It's like in hospitals, we see this like sinusoidal wave as our heart rate. So image signals are like that for real humans. For fake ones, they are everywhere. Your heart rate is 75 at one second and then 120 and then 60. And like it is, you cannot have that heart rate. And it's not periodic, it doesn't have uniformity. So the, those signals are everywhere. So we took, took these signals and we made this very, we, we conducted this very simple experiment. So given many pairs of real and fake videos, which is like the real version and the fake one that the real version was used as source, for many pairs of these videos, can we use these PPG signals to detect which one is fake, which one is real? And with no deep learning, with no AI, just by an implicit formula, implicit processing of signals, we found out that we can answer that question correctly by 99.39% accuracy, which is very high, it's like over 99%. So that shows us that the PPG signals are very powerful in showing us what is real, what is fake. Then of course came the natural question, can we generalize this? Given any video, can we use these PPG signals to detect whether it is real or fake? In that case, the problem is a little bit harder because we want to process any video. So we employed a deep learning approach to run these PPG maps for classification into real and fake videos. And to fortify our PPG signals, we not only use the temporal version of them, but we also use the spectral version of them, which is temporal version means like this sinusoidal wave that you see, right? And the spectral version is the frequencies that are represented by those PPG signals. So with the spatial, temporal, and spectral versions of the PPG signals, we train a neural network and it says whether it is real or fake. Very, very interesting stuff, especially seeing how where the crossover is between your where you're depending on this PPG variable versus integrating other capabilities to reinforce it. On that note, I'm wondering how much in terms of data collection, it relies on the assumption that that the latest camera video technology is being involved and and understand when i ask this I'm, I'm kind of asking like a trying to look into the future to see how hackers small age hackers might try to game the system because everything for fraud detection whether it's it's video data or even like you know fraud detection for banking and ai capabilities and you're looking at transactions, it's a rules-based game. It's an arms race of the cops develop a technology, the police side of the table develops a technology, and then the criminal side of the table is trying to figure out how to game it. And in looking at, knowing this is a new technology, this is kind of like the, the latest and greatest tool for the authority side of the table. I'm thinking in my mind from seeing it in action, the first way I would think to game it might be to use a lower grade quality camera. It might make sense that, say, someone depicted in the video, let's say, you know, Barack Obama, you took a video of them analog or it was very grainy. How much does video quality factor into being able to read PPG or the other variables that you're depending on to get that 99% accuracy? So there are several answers and several experiments that I will mention. 
as an answer to that question. So the first one is that to extract PPG signals, we really don't need the face region to be very large. If the face is at least 32 pixels by 32 pixels, which is like very small if you think about it, like 32 by 32 pixels, really. So if the face is as, at least as much, then the catcher can process it. And that means that the areas that we are extracting PPG signals are not as large, but still they contain enough information to extract those signals. Now, if the resolution is not the problem, but the blurriness or graininess, as you just said, are the problem, then we actually made some experiments about how that affects our accuracy. We modeled that post-processing artifacts as Gaussian blur. And with that Gaussian blur, even if we have very blurry videos where you don't even see whether it is Johnny Depp or Brad Pitt, it's like very blurry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Even right. in that case, we have 85% accuracy. And even if you change the interlace the frames, so the maybe the recording device is somehow broken, that there is like frame interchanging, right? Even in that case, we have okay accuracy that we can still trust. It's not 96, you cannot expect it to be 96, but the information content decreases a lot, but we can still find it with like 85 to 80% accuracy. Yeah. Going back to those arms race dynamics that I was talking about before, or even the applicability of these workflows, I come from a background of journalism. I can immediately see this technology you know, the next day after a deep fake video debuts on Twitter, social media, journalists using an individual app to, you know, filter through, put through the whole process, turn around and say, this is a, this is a deep fake. Do you see any enterprise based applications uh, of this technology or where it could be useful, you know, from a fraud detection standpoint in, in video for enterprises? Yeah, of course. So enterprises, meaning big companies, I would say, we have different types of customers. So the first type of customers is social media companies. You know, like all those deepfakes are getting viral and spreading like viruses in all those social nets. So instead of allowing those videos to be on social media platforms and then waiting for all of those users to mark them as fake, mark them as bad, mark them as manipulated, if there was a fact catcher or a defect detection on ingestion platform, so when we are uploading a video, it should in real time put a check mark there saying that by 90% confidence, we think that this is a fake video. Then everyone that is seeing that video will have some information or some doubt about its fakeness and they will not share it. So it will not be spread, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know whether you have seen it, but the Zelensky video, that was fake on Twitter, that was going everywhere. That was a fake video that was giving misinformation about the ongoing invasion. And it went everywhere. And people in that mindset probably didn't think that it may be fake or it may not be fake. That's like they are trying to survive for, survive for their lives. So it's like hard to think that something is fake in that mindset. It went everywhere. So instead of spreading like that, if there was fake catcher, and then it would be marked as fake. Anyway, so that's the first kind of customers. Second kind of customers is news agencies, broadcasting companies. They have so many third-party material. And before they run it in their news or before they share it with their audience, they want to actually 
be aware that if it is fake or there's a possibility of it being fake or maybe it is a really authentic video but just some interval is fake like it's a hybrid video etc so they want to run this they want to employ the real-time defect detector into their workflows so that they can actually automatically be aware of that the third one is similar to what you said like nonprofits and ai for good organizations that wants to democratize such approaches to everyone and the last one the fourth category is a little bit different so we don't want to cut all the synthetic media right we want to be able to enable content creators metaverse creators visual artists etc to be able to use those generators so how can we provide authorization approaches how can we uh, provide provenance-based approaches to those content creators so that they can use deepfakes or synthetic media for good, where we know how it was created, where it was created, why it was created, etc. So those are the four types yes. of classes. As a big fan of of satire and and believing that that online satire needs a a kind of a trick factor built in. I I, I don't know if you're I don't know if you're familiar or if you've seen the Onion's defense they sent. Uh, an affidavit to the Supreme Court. I'm probably getting that legal term wrong, but in defense of of parody online, and you see the fantastic potential of deep fakes if we can only use it in, in just this very sanitized way for humor and have that clear without being without giving the joke away. I think I think that's that's a short term result that we could see from this technology. But to even go back to what you were saying just there, there there is or there lies a, a little bit of a black box problem in terms of this technology, because I think everybody's seen early deep fake videos and can kind of look and say, oh yeah, I kind of see how his mouth moves in a, in a, in a robotic way. And that's, that's not real, but we are going to get to the point, especially deep fake videos where, or at least looking at PPG, you know, that's not something that I can see between a deep fake video in a real video. So, and especially in this this era of misinformation, it's not hard to imagine a future where this technology works great and it's identifying deep fake videos, but you charge this as a deep fake and somebody who wants to believe it says, "Well, how do you know? <laughs> you know, I you can't see the PPG in in someone's face versus a deep fake video." What what do you think will will be the approaches to to that kind of black box problem with this technology? We are so Trusted Media is a part of responsible AI team in Intel, and we are trying to always provide whatever metric, whatever trust metrics that we can see in the videos. May it be the confidence metric, may it be the performance metric, may it be the like experiments that we do across populations, et cetera, and how it works, why it works, when it doesn't work, what is the limitation, et cetera. So we are always trying to put front those trust metrics to the public so that they can, they can trust the approach is doing good, what it says or not. In addition, we want to, so a fake catcher is not the only defect detector that we develop. We are developing many other defect detectors and most of them are based on biological priors. For example, we have an eye gaze based detection. So in very like simple terms, when humans look at points are the rays that we are shooting from our eyes converge on, on a point. Even if it's very far, it, they are divergent, but they are coplanar. But for for defects, they are like googly eyes. They are like everywhere. There is no coplanarity. There is no convergence, etc. So one of the defect detectors that we develop is looking at these gaze vectors, 
3D gaze points, the size, color, and correlation of the eye, pupil, and the iris. And we took all of those maybe 20, 25 features of eyes and gazes and put them into gaze signatures. Then we train a deep neural network on gaze signatures to classify them as fake or real. Now, why am I saying this different detectors is that in future, we want to provide algorithmic consensus by reporting all the different confidence metrics from these different detectors that are complementary to each other. Because fake catcher looks at the skin, doesn't look at the eye, and eye gaze-based action looks at the eye, and maybe there are many other single domain or, or multimodal approaches that we will develop, and all of them will give information based on different priors. And that gives a little bit, one more layer of trust to the platform so that like maybe people will look at the eyes and say that, oh yeah, there's something wrong with the eyes, you know? Mm -hmm. Or maybe the skin, the skin is so smooth, there's like lightning changes, but on the skin there's no smooth. So these different detectors giving, supporting each other for defect detection is, the way that we think about how we can build trust around the whole platform. I find that answer so interesting because it reminds me of secure app development where you're building in security at every stage of the app. And it sounds like you guys have put a lot of thought into how do we make this our conclusions obvious to someone who knows nothing about video, knows nothing about data. And you're building that into your outputs in much of the same way. And I think I, I think that's a, a really telling approach to the black box problem that we that we see overall. Feel free to get as technical or as mystical in this answer as you'd like. I, I just I couldn't help but ask in especially the conclusions you've been drawing. It was a little bit in that la last answer. But what have you learned about what makes us human in the process of developing this technology? To be honest, at first, I was thinking that there is like one or two prior or one or two signals that makes us human like okay heart rate is very strong we should trust then like okay gaze is strong we should trust but the more we go into finding signals that makes us human the opportunities are endless we can look at many different things so even in our voice even in our speech there are hidden clues even in our motion there are hidden clues our behavior our like emotional state our gestures there are so many hidden clues that are not replicated by defects yet and we can use all of those for different detectors for different approaches and we can even go beyond that and not only find whether a video is fake or real but we can find which generator created which video we can use all of those authenticity signatures and their projections into the generative domain so that we can say okay this was created by FaceWrap. this was created by neural textures this was created by other deepfake generator that is coming up next so this is something that i i learned that like we should keep looking for more signals and more priors in humans because we have so much built in physical, natural, and biological things that we can depend on, and they are not replicated yet. And all those variables grow as we keep asking that question and in more and interesting ways, which I, I, I think is awfully poetic. And and frankly, one of my favorite parts of, of, of starting our studying artificial intelligence, which is the more we find out about technology, the more we find out about ourselves. 
But Ilka, thank you so much for being with us and providing such fascinating answers. I think you've given our audience a lot to think about on this episode. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Wrapping up today's episode, I'm especially intrigued by what Ilka is saying right at the end there about how her research has illuminated deeper mysteries behind the question, for her at least, what makes us human? It's a cliche, I know, as old as humanities high school courses, you probably are having flashbacks to that old teacher in high school who would rip off the Dead Poet Society. We all had that guy. But one that really concretely emerges once the dust settles from the overhype of any transformative AI technology as we're now seeing with ChatGPT and DALI. If you guys are familiar with those tiny generative AI use cases that we see here and there on Twitter, I'm kidding. On behalf of the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI in Business podcast. 